I see Cully's back. Any word from in there, buddy? Did? All right. More than enough. Well, we need more. Because sometimes people get sick, can't be here, got other stuff to do. See how easy that was? Are y'all even listening to me today? Should I continue? Huh. <laughs> See how easy that was? Never mind. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm just trying to get a rise out of somebody. I mean, I got to know somebody's listening today. Are you listening? Hey, it's a, it's a good day. It's a good day because the sun is actually shining. And uh, it feels like it hasn't done that since Christmas. January was really dreary. and but at the, I'm glad it's gone, but at the same time, I'm really... I'm really sad it passed so quick. It's like the year is uh, already on its galloping horse and we're moving away. Uh, so we have been in this study now in, uh, in Acts since the beginning of the year, the second Sunday of the year. And we're really to the place where we always go to in Acts. This is everybody's favorite, you know, Acts, especially when we get down to Acts 2.42, where it talks about how we share everything in common. Everybody likes that part until they're the ones doing the share, and then it don't work out that good. But we're going to look at that a little differently when we get there. Today, we're going to look at the passage that I read earlier. So that was uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And if you recall from the first chapter, Jesus is with his disciples. He tells them, that um, that they're to go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift that God has promised. And for 40 days, and even before that, He had told them about the Spirit that would be sent to them. We all know this from John's Gospel, more particularly. Uh, John deals a lot with the with his teaching about the Spirit, the Counselor, the Paraclete, which is the one that comes alongside to give guidance and strength. He talks a lot about that. And when Jesus is teaching the, the 40 days between His uh, resurrection and ascension. And He's teaching about the kingdom of God. There is absolutely no way for Him to teach about that and escape a teaching on the Holy Spirit. Because the kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Spirit is the catalyst by which that happens. And so certainly He had prepared them even further for this gift that would come. But in the meantime, they were to wait. And what they did as they waited was they prayed. And they prayed. It said they, they were all together. Luke gives us a number of about 120. So not very many. There's a few less than that in here right now. So there's about 90 of us in here, or 75, 85, 90, something. So a little larger than this group. But these were all people that had, had been with Jesus and had obviously been part of that teaching were with the disciples and they were praying and we talked about last week how they were they were arranging their decision making in the church around the leadership of God and when they chose Matthias they they worked out this way where the whole church presented them and they were qualified in particular ways but they prayed and relied on the direction of God to actually select the one that would fill Judas's shoes so there was a 
a way to do things. They were praying and they were seeking to follow God's will in everything that they were doing. And then Pentecost comes. And the reason why we know Pentecost is because of the event that we'll describe here. But Pentecost was a Greek word that was used to represent the Hebrew idea of, of the time, the festival of Shavat. And Shavat was the harvest festival. And at this particular time, this was actually coincides 50 days after, after Easter or after the Passover. There was this time in, in the season where the barley had, had, uh, cropped up and was giving its grain. Okay. And it would take a few, a few weeks to actually harvest all the barley. And then by the time that they were through with that, the wheat was ripe. And so it was ready to be harvested. So as the barley harvest was ending, the wheat harvest was beginning. So this was a great time of God's providence, of God's blessing, of His provision, of a, of a, of a crop producing so much. This was the greatest time, agricultural time in the, in the, in the calendar for the Hebrew people. And God chooses to show Himself at this time. He didn't do it just because it was 50 days after, after the resurrection. He does this so that they are mindful of who He is. At the time when the harvest is coming in, God is about to unleash His church to bring in a harvest of lives, a harvest of souls. And so we cannot escape that picture that's in the backdrop of this whole event. There's a lot of activity going on. People would come, as we read earlier, from all over the known world to be a part of this festival because it represented so much of God's provision and care for them. The other thing that's happening in this story that I read earlier, this account that I read earlier, is that there's a lot of movement and interaction going on that, that we need to pay attention to. The Spirit is working in the lives of the church. The church is engaging with people that are outside the church or the fellowship at that time. They are engaging in ways. So there's a lot of things going on here. And we have to keep in mind that none of this happens until there is some movement. So we can't just live thinking that it will happen or this is some stagnant process that we exist in. What God is about involves activity and motion and interaction with people. And so when we look at the rest of this, I want to look at this today in really three different areas. I want to look at what's going on in this fellowship of believers, how the Spirit is working, and then what's happening with the people that are kind of on the outside looking in. And I want you to begin to identify your place. Number one, really, how is the Spirit working in me? What is this thing with the Spirit really all about in my life? Don't worry about what it means theologically or doctrinally or any of those things. Where is God's touch point with me in my life right now? Am I paying attention to it? Am I giving it all the energy that I need to give it? Is it a, is it a part of my, my daily reality, the thing that's foremost in my conscience? Am I getting myself across here? Where's the Spirit in your life? Okay. That's important. Then how is he working in the world so that I can see it and go to where he's working? Where is, where's the activity that draws men to him? How is God working where he's gaining the attention 
of people in the world. And then lastly, who are these people that are observing all of this that I can speak to with effectiveness and authority? That my life will speak to through action and deed in a way that will cause them to take a look at God. This is where we are today in this passage. So as I mentioned, this fellowship had prepared itself in prayer. I can't stress enough, really, how important that is. And that they weren't off just somewhere praying. They were together. It says it again here. They were all together in one place. This is the second time Luke has reminded us that they were all together in one place. The church gathers together in one place. And we were talking about this earlier. I don't know how to define internet church. I don't know how to define church where you say that you're going to sit at home in your pajamas and watch somebody on TV and say you, 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 you had church that day. It's just not what it is. Church is this. It's this, it's this a half a million times over around the world today. It's this. It may be eight or ten together. It may be eight or ten thousand together. It may be a group like this together. This is church because we are all together. Okay? And the other thing that makes us church is that we've been called out of ourselves and out of the world into this place with God. Okay? So the word church, actually, ecclesia is the word in Greek. It means to be called out. So we are together, together. We've been called out of really ourselves and all the distractions that that brings and all the responsibilities that that brings that we don't, we don't leave behind, but we begin to define ourselves by this. And if you're not a part of this, you will not define your life by it. You'll try to add it in at certain points along the way and you'll get a little taste every now and then, but you will never develop the sense of identity that being with the church provides. They were all in this together, in this place, and they were continuing, I'm sure, to pray because it is what they were in the habit of doing. When you pray together, and you pray every day together. How can it not become a habit? How can not we sing a song about God's forgiveness being as sweet as honey on our lips? That's what you begin to experience when you do this every day together. Our lives together becomes like honey on your lips, man. Where do you go to get something that good? Nowhere. So they were prepared by prayer. They were following the direction of God and Scripture. They were paying attention to how God was speaking to them and how He had spoken to their fathers and how that was speaking to them. All of this was quite important to their life. And here and together in this one place, what does it say? Suddenly, nobody's planning for this. Nobody is anticipating this. This comes on them suddenly like the like sound like that of a rushing violent wind came from heaven and it filled the house. What anybody got in mind what a rushing violent wind sounds like? We've been in that a few times. Yeah. Yeah, I got close enough to a tornado one time to to where that was pretty pretty violent. 
It's the power of it. You ever you ever get into the middle of I mean hurricanes coming and you kind of you kind of want it because there's something in you that says I kind of want to experience the just the fear fury of it and the force of it and the power of it. You can feel the power of it. You know, pine tree. We got a pine tree next to our house. One day it's not going to be next to our house. We're not going to have a house because it's just going to blow right over on our house. But boy, when it gets to blowing and that tree stands 150 feet tall or more and it just starts doing it. And you can hear it and you can see it and you hear the things breaking and cracking around it and you know that there's power. These people knew that something had come into their life that was powerful and that it was going to move them. One thing about that kind of strength, it will move you and I mean, when God comes upon your life in this way, you will have to be moved. There's no choice. That's what this means. If we can talk about, did it really happen that way or not? What really matters in the situation is this. When you know that the power of God is upon you, it is going to cause you to move. And that's what happened to them. It came upon them in a way that was undenied. Then we see this. It filled the whole house where they were staying and they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Each person in that room, about 120, Luke tells us earlier, each person in that room becomes a vessel through which the Holy Spirit begins to move. It said on each one of them. The Spirit didn't come into the room and say, oh, that one's been offering better prayers than that one, and that one's heart's better than that one. No. These were all people that were believers and followers in Jesus Christ. They'd given their life to Him. They were united together in brotherhood in the church, and God was going to use them. And so He does. He touches each and every one of them. Which changes everything. Because... Prior to that moment, a person's identity, especially a Jew, their identity was in the nation of Israel. Whatever direction the nation of Israel went, so went they. And their identity was solely in that. Very little did they have the chance of having an impact on anything that happened in the nation. But whatever happened in the nation, if they disobeyed God and God threw them into exile, they all went into exile. And one time while they were in exile and Jeremiah was with them, he said, you know, a day's coming. There's going to be a day where, the, where God's will, God's law, God's word is not going to be written on stone. I want you to pay attention. He says, it's going to be written in your heart. And you won't have to go anywhere to learn about what that means. It's going to come up on you and you're going to know. You won't have to ask anybody. You're going to know. And that's what was happening this day. And that's what happens to us. When the Spirit comes upon us, we know. And what it is here is that we're not reliant any longer upon the whole for what happens with us with God. God is working in our lives and we shape what happens to the church. There is no life in the church unless you are a part of it. 
Paul reminds us in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, no matter who you are, no matter how great, no matter how small, you've got a role in the body of Christ, the church. And if you're not functioning in the way that God has gifted you to do, you're, you're, you're hurting the body of the church. You've got to be busy doing what you're to do. No matter what it is. Know that if it's God that's given you to do it, you do it. In this case, the power was so overwhelming that they could not help but do it. Look what happens to them. They all become a vessel of the Spirit. They're all in this in concert together and they're all speaking a different language that is understood by these people that have come from all over the known world to be a part of this festival. There's the miracle of speaking, there's the miracle of hearing, and the Spirit's in the middle of all of it, and these people don't really understand what's happening. Certainly the ones hearing don't understand, and it never really says that those that are speaking are understanding what's happening, but they are a part of it nonetheless. When God moves on your life, and you're prepared and ready for Him to move in your life, you're a part of it whether you know it or want it or not. That's how He works. When you are ready and when you are willing, he is, he is going to work. And these people were ready and willing. And look what happens. Their, their capacity to do is expanded beyond their own imaginations. Galileans were not Judeans. Judeans lived at the upper side of Manhattan. And the Galileans lived in the Bronx. That would have been a comparison. There was no idea of a Galilean having any education, being a part of the religious order, not really having opportunity to do the religious activity because it was all done in the temple. And for a lot of Galileans, that was 40, 50 miles away. They just didn't get there very often. Uh, Judeans looked down upon Galileans. You know, Nazareth was where? Galilee. You know, just not a, not a lot of respect for them. But here they are, all Galileans. And they're able to speak foreign languages. The capacity to reach people had, ex had expanded for them simply because they were prepared for the Spirit to work in their life. Which is a lesson for us. If we want to be used by God, then we prepare to be used by God. And when He uses us, we'll do things that we could not have imagined doing before. They weren't, they were trying to analyze and figure out what to do next. They opened their mouth and they realized that I'm speaking Parthian. I guess I better go speak to Parthians. I don't know what they were thinking. All we know is that when they begin to speak, they left the house and they were speaking to those who could hear them. Their capacities were expanded. Their ministry was definitely effective. We find out at the end of this entire episode that occurred that day that 4,000 people came to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. That's an effective ministry. When we allow the Spirit to work in us, when we are prepared for that to happen, we may be effective in what we are doing. Now, the effectiveness is not determined by us. It's just determined by the outcome that God wants in that moment. Your effectiveness in the moment may be that you bring peace and comfort to someone who is confused and hurting. That may be it. 
And you're thinking, that's all? And I'm thinking, if that brings one person closer to God, then that's everything. But you have to be ready and you have to be prepared. When the Spirit is at work, now the thing that's amazing about this, the Spirit comes in and what does He do? He makes a, he makes a scene. <laughs> he comes in with a lot of noise and makes a scene. They hear it and not only do they hear it in the room, people outside. It says that they are drawn to the sound that was made, not to their, not to their words that they were speaking. It was drawn to the sound that they, that the Spirit had made coming into the room. Look, if God's, God's got an agenda, he does. And he is, he is working every day to fulfill that agenda. And he has chosen to fulfill that in creation through those who trust and follow his son Jesus. That's how he's chosen to do this. We may say that's imperfect, but regardless, that's how he's chosen to do it. And you're a part of that. When he came into that work, when he came into their lives and began his work, Everybody knew what was going on. If God wants you to go do something with Him, you can rest assured preparation has been made for you to do that. He's not throwing, it may seem like He's throwing you into something that's totally ear prepared, like Peter stepping out into the water and sinking. But even in that, He was prepared. It's just Peter wasn't. When we are prepared, through our prayers, through our fellowship, through all the various means in which we trust God, then He is able to go before us in a way where there is nearly no chance of failure. Because our hearts are in line with His. He makes a scene and it makes it easy. Even in, even in 9-11, when we thought the world was going to crumble away and that we were in World War III now for the rest of our lives, what did people do? They flocked to church. Man. And those, and those in ministry said, oh my goodness, did God do this to bring revival? He may have, but maybe the church wasn't paying close enough attention. Because as many as came left, not too many weeks after. And we did become despondent over that. God can move, and if we're not paying attention and the moment passes, we think, oh no, what have we done? The opportunity's gone, and it'll never come again. Well, whether it comes again or not is God's business. The point is to be ready. To be ready and to be willing. When he comes to work through us. The other thing that the Spirit does in this is he breaks down the barriers that exist between us. These people that were all gathered in Jerusalem, they may have been able to speak Greek, some of them, most of them together, but none of them would have been able to, to, to hear this message that was being shared in their own language, meaning that God says, you don't have to tear down cultures and barriers. Uh, you don't have to tear down languages and those sorts of things for the gospel to be known to people. The gospel speaks a language all unto itself. God loves you. And He sent His Son to die for you. 
And He raised His Son to life for you so that we could share in His life forever. Every language can understand that. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be Greek. You certainly don't have to be American to understand that. And that's the message that they were preaching that day. And every one of them could sit there and hear it in their own language. They didn't have to have an interpreter that day. They didn't have to have anything other than the Word of God speaking directly to their heart in their own language. When we go to people with the gospel, we have to speak their language. And what I mean by that is not everybody's like us. A lot of them's better than us. We have to learn to speak that way. A lot of them worse than us. But if we love them, we've got to learn to speak their language. In fact, we don't have to learn a thing. All we have to do is learn to surrender and let the Spirit work in us. I don't care who they are. I don't care what station in life they've come from. I don't care what sin they've committed. I don't care what they've done in their life. When God is ready to speak to them through you and you're ready to be that vessel, He will speak and their life will change. That's a guarantee. When God speaks, lives change. That is the opportunity that we have. It also reverses some things. Anybody remember the story about the Tower of Babel where everyone could speak the same language and they said, oh man, we're going to do this great thing. We're going to build a tower and we'll be as great as God. And God said, man, this was all working so good until that came up. So what does he do? He makes it where they can't even understand each other. Everything that they thought they knew, they could never share again. Wow. Everything that was important to them, they could never speak it to another person and have them understand it. Can you imagine the frustration? When I, I think about you know, well, Jimmy right now, he, he's struggling. He wants to say something and nobody can understand it. How frustrating that is. Some of you have lived through that with people. Just how frustrating that can be to have it right here and it can't get there. And God says, I'm fixing all of that. The gospel will be heard no matter what. I've overcome all the barriers. It will be heard. God, that should bring such confidence to us. That should be such confidence to us when we, when somebody says, well, look, you're trying to talk to somebody about Christ. And they say, I don't believe any of that. And you're thinking, oh, now what do I say? Man, God already knows the answer to that question. What, what do you think you're going to add to that? Just, just let him work through you. And he will do it. Finally, there's a world outside out there that just really all of this happens and they're astounded. They're just astounded at it. When was the last time you, 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 you were doing something with God and somebody just was in amazed by it? Well, that's possible. I have to tell you, it doesn't happen very often to me either. But there's this, there's this possibility that exists, especially when we are all working together as this was going on, where the church is together and we do something and the world is astounded by it. 
Is that what the love of God looks like? Is that what the gospel of Jesus Christ actually means? They're astounded by it. The closest we've ever come to was during the flood. We had an AP article written about what we were doing, and, and people were astounded that a little church could do what we were doing. And we weren't doing anything. We were just wearing ourselves out, trying to keep this stuff moving through that God kept providing our community. It's all we did. But people were amazed by that. That was work that was supposed to be for other churches. If God wants to work, He'll work. And if you're willing, He'll let you join in. People were amazed by it. These were people, these were God-fearing people. There were some lost people. Didn't, didn't know who Yahweh was. But then there's some people sitting in this room that really aren't sure about that kind of activity from God in the church. It makes them a little uncomfortable. Can we really talk about God being having a movement inside our church? You know, scare some people because they're, they, they really can't understand it. It's okay. It really is okay. Some people, like these people, they say, hey, look, they're just drunk. <laughs> you know, and some people today, they'll say things about the church and about Christians. Oh, them, them wacky Christians. They don't, you know, they're so behind the times. You know, that's just not who we are today or whatever, you know, and they just kind of write it off as, oh, just wacky. You know, I've got people in my own family like that. They're wacky Christians. So they may ridicule, they may try to rationalize what's going on when the church actually does come together and do something that's that what in their minds is marginally good for the rest of the world. They would say, oh, well, you know, this happened and that happened, and they begin to rationalize on human on a human level exactly what's going on. And then some people just choose to reject what the church is doing altogether. They just don't want anything to do with it. They reject it. It's 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 a it's just a lie to keep people under control, or you know all of those different things that you hear from secularist human uh, secular humanists about faith and about God and about. Some of those things. All of that's going to happen and we can rest assured that it will always happen as we go about our business and as God works through us. But the truth of it is, in the midst of all of that, there will be some who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And isn't that exactly the ones that we're bearing witness to? See, we don't have the wisdom and we certainly won't have the courage but when, when we've just given the direction to just go be my witnesses. See, Jesus never said, go pick and choose who you're going to be a witness to. He just said, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Which means, be a witness to everybody. Doesn't matter who you meet. Just, be, just bear witness. Some are going to be saved. Some are going to trust Jesus. Some are going to stand in heaven one day. 
And they're going to stand before Jesus. And they're going to be sitting around a great banquet table with all the believers, as Revelation describes it, that there's this great multitude in the banquet table. It's a feast, and everybody's enjoying the feast. And someone's going to look up across the table, and they're going to catch your eye. And they're going to say, thank you. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. If you'd have shut up that day. I wouldn't be here if you wouldn't have walked across the street and talked to me. I wouldn't be here if you wouldn't have looked across the cubicle at work and invited me to your house just to sit and have a cup of coffee and talk about what really mattered to you. I wouldn't be here. I'm so thankful. That's the glory of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's what that is. And that's our job. We've got one job. One job. It's also our privilege. We're promised one thing in this life with Christ. That we will obey Him. That's it. You get to obey, you don't, or you don't obey. We've got one thing that we do, we obey. And our job is to bear witness. That's our privilege. And that's when we know without a shadow of a doubt that the Spirit is at work in us. That's when we know. When we're doing our job and we're enjoying the privilege, that's when you know. Let's pray that. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the honor and privilege of being your people. You have called us unto yourself through our faith in Jesus Christ. And that in itself was no small accomplishment. You had to send your son to die for us and to cover our sins so that we could even be near to you. And Father, our lives are focused on those who have yet to believe that and accept that plain and simple truth about who you are in the world. And I'm so very thankful in the way that you brought this to life in human history. You touch each one of our lives. And our lives touch one another in this room. And even beyond this room. And you've given us this great and mighty privilege to go and with expanded capabilities and with, and with highly effective means. You've given us a means to bring lost people to you. You've made it such so that we can have meaningful relationships and not have to tear down who they are to bring them the gospel, but your love and your grace and your mercy speaks their language each and every time. We just have to do it. So we thank you for that, Lord. And we're praying today, God, that our lives become better vessels because of we've been more obedient. Father, that we are preparing our lives together as a church, regularly praying who you will be and what you will do among us.
Father, I pray that You will do something through our church. That when You move in us, it will draw the attention of the world. So that they may be astonished in what You are doing. And in their amazement, they may hear the gospel and come to trust You. And believe in Your Son. So work in our lives so that you may work through our church. And Father, for the ones here today that are seeking you, they're just not quite certain about surrendering their life to to someone they can't see and someone they can't experience, really. I pray, God, that you'll come upon them with your spirit today. And that you will put to bed and put to rest in their heart the doubt and the fear of trusting you. That they will come to your son Jesus and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I know I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. And I come to you for that. Father, let, it, let them know in their heart the peace and the comfort that comes in that. And they may begin a life to follow you. And that is my invitation to you today. If you need to pray about your life with God, please come and pray with me or our family care ministers or just kneel. You can kneel here and pray and someone may be led to come pray with you. But but there's a point in which this is very urgent in our life because it is an urgency to God. And we need to get serious about who we're going to be as a church. So I pray that each one of you I pray that you accept the that you accept the challenge and that we begin to move and feel the Spirit do His work through us. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, Paul reminds us in Romans, it says the wages of sin is death and we're all sinners. That means we're going to die one day physically, but there's going to be a spiritual death and that'll be the end of it. God will have to turn His back on you in that moment and embrace those that He that have loved His Son and have trusted His Son. And He'll be right and just in doing so. But He goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. God is offering you eternal life. He says the gift of God is eternal life through through Jesus Christ our Lord meaning put your faith and trust in all that Jesus has done for you on the cross in the life that he shares with you in his resurrection and you'll be with God forever whatever business you have with him treat it as urgent and deal with him today